Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Hello and welcome to episode 212 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle and this is the third episode of August 2017 and our Daikaiju discussion for Attack of the Super Monsters. And wait until you hear my description of this phenomenon. Anyway, we will also be announcing the winners of the Shin Godzilla giveaway and covering a little bit of news and sharing some upcoming catastrophic events. So make sure you stick with us through that discussion. Now, as we normally do here at the top of the show, we like to play a little bit of music. So I think I'm going to dive into the radioactive jukebox and pull out Mothra versus We Are Scientists by We Are Scientists.
And like I said, we started things off by Mothra versus We Are Scientists. And then I followed that up with the intro credit theme song to Dinosaur War Eisenborg. And that is because... Once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. Now, as we rapidly close on our final entries in this uh, iteration of the Daikaiju discussion feature, we have been turning our ever-gazing eye towards the lesser-known, or talked about at least, giant monster romps, this month, we are covering a film that I discovered right about the time my son was born in 1998, when it was sort of like re-released on VHS, actually, I guess a little bit earlier. The box art was phenomenal, but what was inside of that? Did it hold up? Attack of the Super Monsters is a 1982 compilation film of the first four episodes of a Tsuburaya TV show from 1977 called Dinosaur War Eisenborg, or Kyoru Daisenzo Eisenbogu, as it was originally released in Japan. The series had 39 episodes and was broadcast from October 7th, 1977 to June 30th, 1978, every Friday from 7.30 to 8 p.m. Now, uh, Kevin Derendorf from the Mazer Patrol podcast was so kind and sent me a whole bunch of awesome information on Dinosaur War Eisenborg and Attack of the Super Monsters. Now, the reason I'm happy that he hooked me up with all this information is, A, I love learning about this stuff. So no matter how bad this film is, as a film, sort of as a release on its own, it's got a cool history behind it. Now, one of the things that Kevin sent me was actually a write-up that he did, sort of detailing a lot of reasons that Dinosaur War Eisenberg and Attack of the Super Monsters, like, they even exist. So he basically said that Taking the first four episodes of a show and turning it into a movie isn't all that strange. Tokusatsu-relevant examples include Mighty Jack, Time of the Apes, which was made from the TV show Army of the Apes, Return of the Dinosaurs, which is from a movie called Born Free, which we will be talking about a little bit later. There's even some Ultraman and a, a number of other things, even uh, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. Several of his episodes were turned into a movie called Voyage into Space. So Kevin goes into more of this and what he sent. He does go on to mention that Attack of the Super Monsters employs a mix of techniques, Tsuburaya called Ritai Anime, which is three-dimensional animation. And I'm guessing those three dimensions are practical tokusatsu vehicles, stop-motion creatures, and we'll come back to that in a second, and cell-animated anime people for the human characters, courtesy of the then-young animation studio Sunrise, who would go on to produce major titles from Mobile Suit Gundam to Batman the Animated Series. Now, the reason I wanted to come back to the stop-motion creatures is because, clearly, this movie only has a little bit of stop-motion in it, and it's just with the sort of, like, what I'm guessing was stock footage from that same TV show was stock footage from that same Ritai anime, which showed those stop-motion creatures where the dinosaurs sort of out on the field, and uh, then they were reusing all the suits and so forth from the other films like The Last Dinosaur. The last thing I wanted to relay from Kevin is that ultimately one's enjoyment of this technique is going to hinge on how much one is willing to buy into the Ritai anime look. Plain and flat-looking anime characters superimposed onto elaborate miniatures is frequently distracting and can feel like one's flipping back and forth between different programs. For me, I totally felt that, um, but let's talk about that in a minute because I did get somebody in here to watch the movie with me. Before we do that, let's hear a little snippet from the animetal version of the Dinosaur War Eisenberg theme song, and then we'll get right into the discussion. Oh, 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 
and we just got finished watching Attack of the Super Monsters, which was quite a lot of fun. Joining me here in the studio, we have Sane, and he's the only one who had the cojones to come out and watch Attack of the Super Monsters with me. Welcome back, Sane. Thank you very much. Yeah, flying solo here. <laughs> well, uh, let's get right down to it. Had you ever seen this movie before? Only a few little clips on YouTube. Yeah, it is a doozy, right? Oh, I God. mean, it was so weird. Awesome. <laughs> it's like, uh, honestly, it's like the first time I'd ever heard of any kind of mixture like this where they had live action and anime together. I mean, sure, I'd seen stuff like Disney before where they'd done that before, but this is obviously not the same, yeah. not on the Mary same level Poppin, at Song all. Of the South, sort of. <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. So uh, the the thing I would actually like to tell the listeners about my, my viewing is that I've seen this before, but I don't think I've ever really tried to pay attention to the plot. And when I saw it in 19, <laughs> let's say, 98, because that's when I found out about it and I got it on VHS... Um, it was like, I bought it sight unseen, I put it in and I started watching it and I was so floored by the attempt at mixing these two mediums, three mediums, maybe, I don't know, but I was just like, I couldn't get over it at the time. I was not a mature enough kaiju fan. Well, and you were being extremely generous by saying <laughs> the word plot. There's right. barely a plot. Yeah, and like, okay, so, okay, now let's let's go into this for the listeners a little bit. I'm sure at this point I will have already introed this a little so you'll understand it, but these are the first four episodes of this Dinosaur War Eisenberg show, and in the film it's, so obvious that you were seeing episode one followed by episode two followed by episode three and then four and which are extremely repetitive yes extremely yes. repetitive very formulaic yeah. very repetitive and uh i mean episode one features i was calling him an allosaurus but uh he was identified in the english dub as a tyrannosaurus yeah uh, and obviously not we have Lord not Emperor Tyrannus, yeah. Tyrannus, I think, yeah. right? Lord Tyrannus, yeah. Yeah, Lord Tyrannus is the evil Sith Lord. Yeah. So, uh, and then the second episode, that was the uh, Pterosaur. Yeah, the Tyrannus. And then the third episode was the Stegosaur. And then the fourth was the misidentified Triceratops, a.k.a. Astrachosaurus, yeah. And the uh, Allosaurus-like monster. Yeah, yeah. Sane and I are obviously from the same school of dinosaur study yeah. <laughs> in the 70s. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, So what did you think of this? Well, I, as I said to you watching the episode, which this episode for us was very MST3K, uh, it was hard not to constantly quip um, during this. And uh, quite a few surprises <laughs> that I didn't expect, like... Uh, uh, the two main siblings, uh, there being a little bit of a, yeah. a, a abuse between <laughs> a them. contention between yeah, the two. Yeah, physical abuse. You can um, really, really feel the reality. Yeah. Some, some writer, and I, again, use that extremely loosely, um, decided that there there needed to be more tension. So that they, they, <laughs> they wrought quite a bit of, uh, of internal struggle with the team. But I was going to say what I loved was the fact that the uh, kaiju costumes were essentially just blown up versions of the imperial rubber toys from the 70s. Yeah, they <laughs> did not they didn't have any sort of like uh, new newfangled anything. No. The, I think the only thing that I like would identify is like they had the blinking eyes sometimes yeah. and uh, the fact that they were puppets. I oh, love yeah. that. I, I really love the puppet I, part of it. I really enjoyed this for what it was. I mean, it is extremely juvenile. I mean, sure. It's very, yeah. Meant for very small children with very short attention spans. And there's a lot of uh, padding. There's a lot of filler. <laughs> yes. In this. Uh, the the same, repeating animation. Same thing yeah. we see in American animation, you know. Yeah. And a lot of uh, repeated, like, uh, got to get the point across that these ships do these things. And uh, we're going to show the same actions <laughs> in this toy over and over again. Which, which is, again, is another, you know, it's obvious that these are episodes yeah. of a TV show showing that same process over yeah, and over it's again. It's no different than, you know, Lion O whipping out the. The, the, sword the, the, the blade over and over and again the sword of omens yeah, is or, that what it is yes yeah. or yes. he-man turning into yeah prince he, adam turning into he-man sure yeah or like so. uh or like i said uh, the thunderbirds under yeah. our thunderbirds are go like For going sure. going and mobilizing to their different thunderbird uh, yeah and johnny Sato and yeah they're well even ultraman i mean 
obviously every single time he turns in it, it's the same repeat. Yeah, it's it's obviously there's again. obviously formulas that they yeah. write for these things, and I, I don't yeah. know what was going on at this moment. I haven't done that much research into Dinosaur War Eisenberg, but I, I wish I knew toys. more. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Actually, uh, I'm going to look that up right now. Yeah, because I mean that ship looks like it was definitely designed to be a, a pretty cool toy. Which I I would kind of like that toy now. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's got it's, that it retro feel that I think yeah. you and I both like gravitate towards. It's got like this, yeah, this corkscrew front, kind of like uh, Etrigan with these outriggers with circular saw blades, and and uh, there's a little of the uh, Captain Nemo ship from Twenty Thousand Leagues of the Sea in it. Yeah, it's pretty fun actually. I love the blades that extend off the yeah. side. They're just <laughs> impractical, but yeah. very like very Atragon, like how yeah. Atragon has the blades on the side, but they don't extend out like that. No, they're not. No, on, they're not on arms that extend out, and <laughs> and and the fact that they would uh, kind of grisly demises for the dinosaurs. I mean, they're. Not to spoil it too much, but I mean, like just chopping these dinosaurs. Ba, 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 to boom! No, yeah, yeah, lots of exploding dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, they're they're all made of C four, like you yeah, said exactly. during as we were watching That's... it. Yeah, I think they did. They definitely made some toys of this stuff. Cool. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention about this show is that while these are the first four episodes, when you see Gem and Gem turn into Gemini, that is sort of what I'm guessing is the proto version of the superhero that shows up in the later episodes. Yeah. So I'm sitting here looking at the at the the search results from the Japanese title and yeah, there is a like a sentai hero, like a big giant guy that I'm sure eventually fights had, more yeah. dinosaurs. I've got to track this down. I got to I got to find some way to watch some of these episodes because it, I'm now fascinated. Yeah, <laughs> did it give any kind of list of how long this thing ran? Okay, so Dinosaur Great War Eisenberg, sometimes incorrectly romanized as Eisenborg, is an ambitious 39-episode Superia series from 1977. Wow, 39 episodes? Yeah, that's like the same amount as Ultraman. Yeah, that's a lot more episodes than I would have given this premise being able to sustain, (laughs) quite honestly. So I get this information from Kevin Derendorf from the Mazer Patrol podcast. He goes on to say in this document that he sent me, This program is the second show in the company's Dinosaur Trilogy. So there was something called Born Free, which got a similar compilation film called Return of the Dinosaurs. Okay, I know I've seen that. Okay, and then Cosidon. And uh, this was a trilogy. This trilogy was a conscious attempt by Subarai Productions to move away from the quaint Godzilla-style portrayal of dinosaurs towards a more paleontol oh my god get get this towards a more paleontologically accurate for the time at least depiction of the dinosaurs well they failed <laughs> i do not remember like from my own studies in paleontology dinosaurs having equipped with flamethrowers yeah and, definitely uh, not being able to control rats and dogs and bats uh especially since uh, uh pteranodons were not dinosaurs to begin with so <laughs> this was a. Uh, Oh god, it was fun. It was hilarious. I uh, you could uh, definitely think of worse ways to waste ninety minutes. Sure, it's short I, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah. short. And I mean, like I said, even even if you wanted to just say, "Well, I've only got a thirty minutes," you can just watch the first you know quarter of the movie yeah. and be pretty good. I, I like what they do. It just in terms of the like, I, like I said, I'm fascinated by this. Mm-hmm. The fact that they decided, hey, it's a uh, We've got these things we can maybe reuse from these other movies, yeah. and then we'll make that into the tokusatsu stuff, which you would normally think would be the most expensive part of making a show. And then the live action people are not there, and you've got animated characters representing them. Although, to be it's fair, interesting. That, that animation is so limited. Very, it, very it rudimentary. May, it yeah. might be cheaper to actually, you know do well, that than higher yeah. actors. Well, I bet in 1977 was probably a pretty big year for anime in Japan. And that's me just going off the top of my head yeah. by stuff that I know from the previous years of animation coming out of like Toei and that kind of stuff. So having, you know, yeah, maybe you're right. Like having an animated portion of that, they might've had cheap animators readily available. Oh my God, did they ever. I mean, this is some... This is some bad animation. Uh, it's funny, but it's, you know, the characters, like, 
change proportion between shots. <laughs> there's, you know, points where it's like, hey, the main character looks like he has a balloon for a head. I mean, they are, <laughs> sometimes the way he turns his head, they, yes. they're poorly animated. Uh, it, was, it was hilarious. I mean, it it looked like something Adult Swim would try to make now uh, in some way. And try and make it look retro yeah, like, to, like to, this. Yeah. Trying to make it look as bad as physically possible. It, it's a. Uh, it would be great uh, for any of the listeners as far as just like, oh, I just want to have a couple friends over. We're going to drink some beers and eat some pizza and just watch this thing and just quip because it's so rife, so full of opportunities for for uh, people to crack each other up. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Now, I, I definitely want to check out the Japanese version, just maybe like an episode or two I'm just to see what it's too. like. Because yeah. as we were talking about during the movie – I was so mystified by Jim and Jem's, you know, battle. Was it Jim and Jem? I think, yeah, like yeah. Jim. Yeah. Like, I'm Jim. Hi, yeah, guys. Jim. I'm Jim. And Jem. And Jem. Yeah. It's truly outrageous. She but is the, truly outrageous. Uh, the thing that I was really just sort of taken aback by is that the, whoever wrote the English dub said, uh, we need that drama. And so now I want to see if it was in... <laughs> The Japanese version really at all need to be squabbling siblings that resort to physical violence at times. <laughs> I know, and yeah, that's right. He totally slapped her, and then it looked like she was going to get back at him at one yeah. point. It was, wow, well, kids, the the, the take the lessons. You get a you get not one but two, two, two comedy sidekicks in this one. The fat funny guy who falls down. Literally, the first scene is a pratfall of him falling. Um, and, and the nerdy funny guy, which are definitely the B team. They are barely, uh, necessary. In, in Do you the, think his the, puppy comes back later on in the show? I don't know. <laughs> uh, that is a question we may never know the answer to. Maybe I'll just watch like the, um, the final episode. No, if, I mean, if I can find links online where you can watch this without, you know, too much trouble, I will post them in the show notes so you guys can also experience the pain of, of this. Please do. No, I, so uh, overall, like, what did you like the most about this? Um, well, I can't say it was the writing, <laughs> but uh, sure. No, I, I really do. I love that. Um, Last Dinosaur Tyrannosaurus costume. Mm-hmm. And I liked the ones they made. I mean, they they took me back to... Because there was a... For as much as I love dinosaurs, and I always have my entire life, and I appreciate all new scientific discoveries and are more of our understanding, there's a part of me that still kind of likes them being these tail-dragging giant lizard monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is exactly... I mean... <laughs> They're so badly portrayed as being even remotely realistic. <laughs> and they do. They look like big rubber toys. I mean, more Truly so terrible than, lizards. Yeah, more so than I would say almost any other like kaiju-y sort of thing I've ever seen, except for maybe some of the really, really bargain basement like Oh, like Fireman yeah, and, and uh, Godman. Like, yeah, we brought up Godman really and poorly done kaiju in that. But I mean, yeah, they're I was kind of surprised as like uh they were obviously really compact sets like mm-hmm. the cities that the dinosaurs were destroying but they looked really good for it surprisingly the quality of film changed massively in the actual show and I mean some of it was like when we were watching the opening credits like hey that's something from War of the Gargantuas and I recognize that from uh Atragon or right? I was like there was a lot of clips that were being used but during the actual destruction sequences like the film grade would change radically. Mm. And I don't think it, it was obviously shot for this, but I don't know if they were just using like whatever film stock was available at the studio at the time. It's like completely different. Yeah. You (laughs) know, that actually might be a legitimate like thing because this was, if like, if this is accurate, 1977, and that's pretty much when, you know, Japanese, TV was taking over, but yeah. I'm sure it was still like people were still trying to produce shows for as cheaply as possible. Certainly, and like because they're really in competition with the with everybody else, you know. Well, and there's multiple scenes where it's like radically out of focus, or, like, <laughs> or really, really grainy, and other parts are relatively sharp and nice. Uh, it's almost like there was like, hey, that film's going to expire. We need to use that. <laughs> because we're like, we're pinching every penny here. Um, 
Oh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Towards the last, like probably ten minutes, it was, uh, like we both grew a little silent, almost like I, I almost can't say anything funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> part, part of that might be due to the fact that I've only had a few hours of sleep. Right. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, today was a long day. I think for both of us, <laughs> I had a lot of work today too. But uh, and the heat didn't help. But uh, no, awesome, super fun. Everybody should watch it. It's 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 terrible, but it's it's in a very innocent sort of way that's uh i won't even say you can turn off your brain because i don't know this requires any mental faculties to enjoy this is uh, almost i was i would say that it takes more work to enjoy it because you have to really really pump that muscle that helps you uh you know, ignore what you're seeing on screen. You're, you, the suspension of disbelief, you yeah. know, really has to be amped up for this. Oh, it was really fun. The puppet dinosaurs, too. And I like, again, not to spoil anything, anybody that's going to watch this, but I hope they do. Uh, right at the beginning, when Lord Tyrannus, the giant telepathic Tyrannosaurus. He's got special powers, He's man. He's got special powers. He's got <laughs> glowing red eyes and a great voice. Uh, and just, oh, man, people just have to watch this just to watch the weird dubbing of the talking dinosaurs. Um, he's calling his minions of this underground kingdom full of little puppet dinosaurs, which are amazing. And they were stop motion animated too. Yeah, partially so. I loved it. I thought that was great. It somehow reminded me of like, uh, picture books from my childhood, probably from the seventies where they would like take plastic dinosaurs and make little. Oh, dioramas. dioramas. And then you did that as the photo. Yeah. Yeah, That was the photo that was in the actual like depiction of the prehistoric life. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It Weird lighting and and, uh, strange sound effects. A lot of, uh, you know, somebody should make a game out of just trying to pick out all the other monster roars because obviously we knew. Yeah, we heard Rodan for sure. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm so glad I made it over. I'm just going to start the rumor right now that. The scene uh, that you were talking about with uh, Emperor Tyrannus, like yeah. talking to his dinosaur minions, that that was basically the inspiration for Mothra Three, and the, yeah. when they go back in time, I'm just that's like uh, that's canon now, yep. as far as I'm concerned. Yep. So you should also think that too, listeners. <laughs> it's not worse than the actual movie. Honestly. I can't say <laughs> Mothra Three is that fantastic. Honestly, my favorite part about this, and and we are talking specifically about Attack of the Super Monsters, not necessarily you know Dinosaur War Eisenberg. Yeah, we're talking like the voice dub. Honestly, hilarious, but I love the actors that they chose, especially for Emperor Tyrannus. His voice was so good. Yeah, Yeah, and I said it to Kyle, too. It's like, I know this voice from Rankin-Bass cartoons. I know he is one of the voices from, like, the 77 uh, Rankin-Bass Hobbit and uh, Return of the King. I'm, I'm positive I could, like, identify the voice if I was, you know, give it a few minutes of thought. But, oh, yeah, it was great. It was ridiculous and funny. It was also funny because the uh, the voice talent was obviously probably like just try and make it more so than any dubbing I think I've ever seen. Like try and make what I've written down for you match the mouth movements of this. Dinosaur. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> and so you'd have to they're on IMDb. Oh, they are. <laughs> the U.S. The U.S. credit guys are on there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So check this out. Yeah. So uh, sorry to interrupt oh, you, but like right. I just got so excited. Uh, someone named Mike Reynolds yeah. did the voice of Emperor Tyrannus, and it says that he's done stuff like Robotech, Ghost ah. in the Shell, Appleseed, Wolf's Reign, oh, Cyborg o- 009, Power Rangers, Wild Force as a voice. For sure, uh, uh, Michelle, of course. I completely recognize him for that. That's like, uh, that's great. Oh, so much stuff. This guy has been, uh, oh, this I'm sure. has been working up until 2008. It says. Yeah, so, I was yeah. going to say, he's got to be going back to at least the mid-70s. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, first credit uh, listed as, um, first voice credit, let's just say, 1976, The Smurfs and the Magic Flute. Oh, my god. He played Papa Smurf. Wow. What? That's crazy. So, Papa Smurf, Lord, uh, and Emperor Tyrannus, you never knew, but now you do. Yeah. And then uh, there was Cam Clark, who played Wally, and uh, Robin Levinson, she did Jem. Dan Warren played Jim. 
and Tom Weiner. I'm not going to go into all of their different credits because yeah. uh, to me, the the winner of that was, was Emperor Tyrannus. <laughs> it was having to lengthen his words to match the mouth movement a little bit, which was hilarious. It's, yeah, and it's, sometimes his words were like, it sounded like he had a sandwich in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he said must, and it said must <laughs> destroy all humans. Well, now we know where Matt Groening got uh, kill all humans for Bender because they only say it about 400 <laughs> times. Each each individual dinosaur says it. Yeah. So, so to, I mean, to me, like the, the, the best part is the dubbing. Oh, what, yeah. I yeah, mean, now it's sure. normally we talk about what would you change in this movie, but this is an interesting one because I'm sure there's a million things we could change. Oh, I don't know that I'd change anything. <laughs> or or we could take that tactic. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely considering saying it because yeah, I no. don't know if there's one single thing that you could do to make this actually better. You have to sort of look at this as what it is. <laughs> better is very subjective. <laughs> I know. But like, yeah. um, uh, make it better. How about shoot live action people? Like, I would actually be interested to see that. If yeah, if it if they had pursued it, or make the entire thing animated. Yes, exactly. Although I think it would have lost a little of its charm if you had taken either of those things away from it, because they're so so opposed. So just they don't. That's what makes it interesting. Yeah, it's very strange because they'd use uh like either still backgrounds that were photographs Mm -hmm. and animated over the top of them. They would have the live action of the monsters, and then sometimes they would have full animation backgrounds and it was very jarring it's very weird i like it when they had the live action backgrounds and I the animated too. characters yeah. in front you know like that whole thing where the as stupid as it looked where all the rats were attacking yeah. and it was very obvious that they were just recycling the same animation, animation? sequence yeah. and it was just looked like a sea of rats constantly crashing down or the dogs that looked like they were disappearing into the man <laughs> they were attacking diving in <laughs> diving like in just like hole. over and over again how many dogs can we fit into this man <laughs> and then they'd have like they built little sets obviously to animate over the top of so like at one point there's uh i i'm using air quotes here giant bats that they must have made this little cave set for then to have 2D animation placed over the top of it. And uh, that little set was fantastic with its silly little rubber bats. Um, yeah, really, really odd choices. But I'm sure it was all done out of thrift, obviously. It's interesting that they didn't animate the bats. That's the no. only animal that they didn't animate, well, right? Well, they did only in its swarm. They just did this little like oh at the very end too it looked yeah like a cartoon pepper cloud yeah when they when the very end when they were finally turned back into normal yeah. bats they looked kind of golden as they were yeah. flying away but yeah aside from that they just like little literally rubber bats on strings oh it's the funniest because they're like you know at one point they're saying like ah, it's attacking you know they're attacking the giant bats are attacking us and then the bats get inside this building this high rise building like and they are. Not any bigger than the doorknobs. They are yeah. these little tiny bats. These are not giant bats at all. That guy just must be really afraid of bats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anything people are like, oh my god, it's so big. And you're like, no, yeah. it's normal. <laughs> bigger than a cabbage moth is obviously a giant bat to this guy because these are really tiny. Um, no, it was highly. They dropped the animals being hypnotized thing like halfway through, which I kind of thought was funny. So you get. Hypnotized dogs in the first little se- segment, like uh, edited down episode, then animated bats, and then or uh, you know yeah the, ba- yeah, the bats the bats were second I thought yeah, yeah. and then hypnotized rats and then they just dropped that they're like well, yeah wait, even the <laughs> four year old's gonna get tired of this after yeah. a while we'll just use the dinosaurs and we better make it two dinosaurs this time. Uh, which again is like, how did they sustain thirty nine episodes? I, I guess know. that's why they needed the superheroes. Yeah, so thirty nine episodes. I I definitely want to see some of them. Well, I'm sure they if well, I don't know how crassly commercial these sort of things were at the time, but I'm sure maybe there was like, well, we'll unveil some new toys every few episodes. I don't know if that's yeah. Know, I don't know either. I mean, when I looked up the the TV show. On like so, what I do sometimes is I'll go to Yahoo Japan auctions. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, oh, did they make any toys of this? And I'll just look up the TV show. Yeah, and then from there I found that they did make you know the ship, the, actually both ships. So the the you know the APC kind of thing that I'm assuming transforms into two different vehicles. Vehicles, yeah. and then the jet thing with the spiral nose and this blade saws on the side. Well, that would make sense, especially for the time, because again, you're getting like Combatra and you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. The go so. guy stuff, yeah. yeah. And this is like, I mean, I don't know if these these prices are accurate, but basically 
People are selling these things for a lot of freaking money. There's like this has this is an auction, right? So if you use eBay rules, there are 28 bids on this thing. This is the uh, the the APC carrier mm-hmm. carrier guy. 28 bids and it ended at about three hundred and seventy dollars. Wow! So clearly there is a demand. Even probably there's just not much supply, right? So wow. it's just, just the people who really have a fond <laughs> maybe 28 different people who have a huge, huge soft spot in their heart for this show. Uh, well, are the toys like good diecast. This looks toys? like a diecast toy. Yeah, so it looks like Shogoka. Sibling style, killers yeah. is basically what <laughs> yeah. I used to call. I mean, these are like uh, I remember the some of the diecast, uh, you know. Star Wars toys from 77 and those things like the Star Destroyer you could have like split somebody's skull <laughs> don't with hurl it. that at your yeah. sister yeah. yeah totally yeah so anyway there you go I mean I don't know what what more you want to talk about in this film I don't film. know there's much more to talk about other than yeah to, to uh, tell people like you should just take a few minutes to watch this even if you skim through it or it invite a friend over and oh, watch certainly. it that way for yeah. sure yeah and it's short so that helps but man it's funny it's really it's kind of nice in a way to not have to dissect something too much because this a doesn't warrant it. You can't, I mean, it is all surface value at this thing, but uh, you know, we're not trying to look at the, you know, metaphoric importance of this or cultural or, you know, because I thought there was going to be a little bit of that in there, nope. like right at the very, at the very beginning. Right. Cause they had the hunters. Yeah. It's like also some humans who don't really believe that <laughs> nature should be precious. respected. Exactly. And yeah. this is kind of like, oh, they're going to get there. Oh, they got theirs very quickly. Yeah. And then it just kind of disappeared. That was yeah. probably to satisfy some like standards and practice people in Japan. <laughs> like, well, you've got to have a positive lesson at least somewhere in a season. Somewhere. <laughs> so they're like, we'll just get this literally out of the way in the first three minutes of the show. Then they teach the kids that it's okay to slap their sister. And, oh, oh, yeah. And murder rats and, you know. Now the movie, the movie. Now the TV series was actually released on DVD in Japan. So somewhere out there, there is a high quality version of this that Oof. can be found. So I'm now going to be on the hunt, my friends. <laughs> I don't know why. This is the perils of me having more free time now. Is that I'm like, oh. 39 episode dinosaur war Eisenberg challenge accepted. But this is uh, the we'll problem see. with everything <laughs> being available now, too. Yeah. There being a market for every weird, obscure, strange thing on the planet. So, yeah, I wonder if the directors of Eisenberg were like, no, nobody's going to be talking about this. 30 or 40 years after we make it you know what i mean but here we are i don't know people still talk about like horrible cartoons from the 70s and 80s sure but i'm just saying like i I doubt that the directors of this thought it would have any lasting impact Uh, yeah who knows if they're (laughs) even still alive not to be let's exhume them let's exhume them and ask anyway uh so final thoughts saying um just enjoyable it was funny i mean it was uh I can think of way worse ways to spend some time. Nice. Uh, this was good. Uh, like, and it was nostalgic. There's some really, there's a hard thing. I've tried to explain this to people like, um, like my roommates and things like that. There is a time. And if you didn't live through it, if you aren't a certain age group, um, you, you just, it's escapes you. And one of those was just like the influence of weird Japanese culture in the 80s, long before it's uh, later kind of the second or third wave came in the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah, second or third um, wave would be like the Pokemon yeah, and, and uh, exactly. like Cowboy Bebop, right? Certainly, yeah. But that first like weird wave of just strange stuff, and we we mentioned it when we were talking about like, oh, this is very gotcha, man. And Robotech yep. and the, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah sure. Macross, even Voltron. And occasionally, I remember even where I grew up, which was in the middle of nowhere, we mm-hmm. would get weird things that would show up. Like we had—I don't know if you have any Midwestern listeners; they might know. We had a chain store long, long before like a Walmart. Mm-hmm. It was called uh, Pamita, and every so often they would just get a pallet of weird, in-package Japanese toys, and a lot of them were like kind of—I'm sure they were for some of these. Um, 
episodic kind of series. Yeah. Like that were very Sentai kind of vehicle driven sort of thing. And I very distinctly remember getting this like weird UFO that like unfolded into kind of a Chinese dragon, like Manda. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, had it forever and i i i know i could probably figure out what it's from now with the resource of the internet but at the time it was like man to just have that weird thing show up or sometimes a weird animation would show up yeah like some yeah. weird thing from japan and uh and now again like i don't know where people get the, maybe they don't maybe they maybe somebody that's 20 years my junior doesn't need to have that feeling of discovery like I did, or I still kind of do to some degree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because, and particularly, I remember, like, the, for whatever reason, I want to say uh, Radio Shack mm -hmm. would ever so often get some of the Dioclone stuff that was basically what the Transformers line was, like, oh, really? taken from. Weird. Um, in fact, there's, a, like, a really kind of, semi-well-known knockoff toy that they call Shackwave, which is like a gray shockwave. Um, but he was like taken right from the, like not the Diocolo line, but the other like Robotech line that he was stolen from. Um, and I remember that the box art was the same way and the Transformer toys from the first wave and a half, like it was very clear that they would, uh, when you opened up your Transformer toy, They'd had this fold out printout of all the other toys and they had it set up in this little diorama with like lightning and there's this really dramatic lighting. Yeah. And like craggy earth with molten like light coming up from it. Like it was volcanic. And I got that from this. It was really fun. Oh, like, you get that the vibe? Weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a certain lighting scheme and like ambiance that Japanese entertainment and pop culture had at that time. Much like the like kind of mid. Uh, to late 60s Showa era stuff had this really bright, colorful, like, mm -hmm. almost circusy kind yeah, like of Yeah, like Jet Jaguar, right? Yeah, like exactly. Like the paint schemes, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, Megalon and things like that. It's like, and, uh, but because I lived, I didn't live during the Showa era. I mean, except for the very tail end. Very tail end, you're right, yeah. But I did live through this era, and I just love it. Even like uh, Return of Godzilla has some of that like really weird dark super dramatic like lighting and and uh ambiance to it mm -hmm. particularly right at the beginning and I soak that up now I want to do the same thing I want to watch I want to see all 39 episodes of this <laughs> just so I can soak in that great like feeling it had so much fun. How about you? Oh, man. Okay, so for me, like I said before, like when this came out, when I found it in 1998, which yeah. it was re-released on VHS, and it had such a cool cover. Um, I posted it in the show notes from last time. I'll probably use it as the... I'll use it in the, in the show notes for this one as well. It's like this dinosaur, this really beautiful oh, yeah. painting of the dinosaur, like just belching out fire going straight up. <laughs> it says attack it. of the super monsters. Yeah. And I was just sold. I was like, Whoa, this is awesome. Yeah. I, I got to have this. And so I grabbed it and then I, I'm pretty sure I put it in and I just couldn't wrap my brain around it enough <laughs> to enjoy it. But now that time, I've, yeah. yeah, at the time, but now that I've sort of like, I've seen all the, uh, pretty much like all the everything, you know, yeah. like I've, I still got to catch up on a lot of Ultraman stuff and the other sent like hero stuff like that. Yeah. But for the most part, when you're talking about giant monsters, I feel like I've kind of seen almost everything, most everything. And yeah. so now I'm getting to like, we're doing in the Daikaiju discussions, we're getting into the dregs, we're getting into the movies I haven't seen, or maybe I've seen once. Or they're so just I'm so obscure. Able There's... to like re-examine yeah. them. And with a step back mentally and emotionally, I'm able to, like just kind of enjoy it more for what it is and think of it more of like what it was at a time yeah. and, and how like how crazy it is that this was actually brought over to America because like who on earth would have looked at this property <laughs> and said, yeah, yeah, American kids are going to get this too. Well, and it's 
it's tough to watch. I mean, in that regard, like, I don't know that it would hold a lot of children's attentions in America, even by 1982 standards. Totally, right? by 1982, you were starting to get, like, again, like He-Man. He-Man, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, can't, I Honestly, yeah. I can't imagine this being on TV when I was watching He-Man no, and Transformers no. yeah, and stuff like so. that. I mean, even they had a slightly more mature storyline than story arc than this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say the average episode of Inspector Gadget probably had a more mature storyline than this. Um, but it was fun in its own way. Yeah, it's, yeah. I absolutely suggest people checking it it's out. It's got some really weird logic, but it's, it, I mean, that's half the fun of like laughing. Like, oh my God, who wrote this? Like, like this is, uh, as I said to Kyle when we were watching, I was like, this seems to me when the American writer, again, which I put in air quotes. Tom Tom Weiner is his name, by the way. The American writer. He did a one pass and he was like, these words fit their mouth movement right here. Good enough. Job done. Yeah. Oh, I should correct myself. He is not an American writer. He is English born. So well, that does not say <laughs> speak well of that English writer. Like, this he, is not he's done wrong. a lot of stuff, though, which is kind of cool. I mean, he's got a pretty big uh, resume of stuff. I'm sure. It was a it was a paycheck. Yeah. I, I mean, even things like the Digimon movie, you know, he was in charge of like adapting that writer. I'm just going to say in loose terms. No offense to anybody who there, adapts p- foreign properties to, uh, you know, domestic properties. Well, I was going to say that's probably a pretty hurt. Herculean tasks to try and translate some of these. This is not one of them, though. <laughs> this yeah, is for probably sure. was not too hard. It's like, oh, there's dinosaurs. Make it up right there <laughs> on the spot. I mean, half the time the voice actors could have been you know, like just riffing all their lines. For yeah, all I know. but for for you know the final thought portion of this, yeah. this is something that I definitely think if you have access to. If you have the ability to watch it with some friends, that's say, the yeah. best way to do yeah, it. It's one of those movies on YouTube. Boy, yeah, you have to be able to watch this. Yeah, like, yeah. this is fantastic. Uh, it was really fun. I'm really glad it came over. To cool, that. man. Well, I'm glad you were the guy that uh, that braved the elements and braved the animation and braved the live action tokusatsu stuff to come watch Attack of the Super Monsters. We did actually get a couple people who sent in their homework, and this is what they had to say. Mike Keller asks, what could be more fun than watching the last dinosaur with Christmas lights in its eyes shout unintelligible gibberish at grade Z anime characters? The answer, as it turns out, is a lot of things. This is the second time Mike has watched this, quote, movie, and it's such a slog for him that through nearly half of it, he found himself forced to multitask, minimizing the play window to one side of the screen while he attended some electronic chores on the other. What? How could such infantile silliness be so boring? The fact of the matter is, Mike thinks that there's a breaking point where silliness just becomes tiresome. Okay, just fast forward to the apes slinging poo at each other and we'll call it a day. So yeah, Mike knows this is just a compilation of the first four episodes of Eisenberg, and maybe, just maybe, it would be easier to take Broken Down into four segments, although he's not sure how easier to take translates into any form of compliment. He's also aware that the superhero Gemini becomes a giant Ultraman-esque monster fighter later in the show, but for these early episodes, it makes absolutely no sense at all to create a superhero-slash-heroine if all the work is done by the Jerry Anderson knockoff mech that it's piloting. Just transform the ship and let the twins be! Mike's review then sort of just breaks down into gibberish itself, so I'm just going to ease his pain and let him just go. It's okay. A completely different Kyle, we're just going to call Mr. Joe, took the opportunity to finally participate in a KaijuCast homework assignment through the midst of creating homework assignments for his students for the upcoming school year. He was grateful to learn that Attack of the Super Monsters was readily available on YouTube to watch. He had heard of Super Monsters from his anime-loving roommate who brought this to his attention. So watching the piece had a sense of, whoa, have I seen this before? Upon watching it, he had an interest in expanding his Toku Horizons, and this was an interesting piece to do so. The combination of anime people and tokusatsu dinosaurs was an interesting approach. When the anime people are on screen, viewers will know because they are the bright colors in contrast to the live footage backgrounds. Mr. Joe enjoyed the Toku effects for what they were and would like to see another series in the same approach as this in combining anime with live-action monsters. It's different and refreshing to see in the classic tokusatsu. 
Well, Mr. Joe, it is uh, my suggestion then for you to track down Dinosaur Expedition Born Free. Back to it, though. A negative that irked Mr. Joe is that the third story, when the little girl runs from the shop to the other side of town just to swat a rat, which, by the way, animal abuse much, uh, which ends up getting two workers killed, that little girl should have been eaten by the rats for what she did to the workers who were minding their own business. Mr. Joe feels that this would be a much better piece to watch with a couple of friends and drinks, or maybe at the Godzilla blood party at G-Fest. Jamie writes in to say, well, if there was ever an award for the cheapest movie ever made in the kaiju genre, this might be the one. Attack of the Super Monsters isn't so much a movie as it is a series of four episodes from some anime series that's not even fully animated, and the animation itself is cheap and looks to be from the same studio as whoever animated Macross or Space Battleship Yamato. Some research later showed Jamie it was actually Studio Dean, founded in 1975 by Sunrise Animators, who would go on to make such famous series like Ranma, Pat Labor, Fruits Baskets, and Read or Die. While it made Jamie think of the recent Thunderbird series on BBC, that series is done with some pretty amazing CGI mixed in with practical effects, and this series isn't. That being said, the practical effects and miniatures for a TV series are actually really well done and look very good. The ships are cool, and how the jet drops the ground unit again reminded Jamie of Thunderbirds, and the monsters were pretty cool looking. Again, we're talking about something with a TV budget. Plus, as a voice actor fan, it was nice to hear Cam Clark's voice as he was best known voicing 80s animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Leonardo, Max Sterling in Robotech, and so many others. He played Wally in this movie. About the only other thing Jamie has concerns about in this film is the massive amount of animal abuse. Dogs are run over with the good guy's vehicle, bats are shot out of the air with lasers, and rats are sent to their fiery death. What did the writers have against animals? All in all, this is for a late-stage kaiju and tokusatsu fan, preferably with some drinks in hand. This is not for a newbie to the kaiju world. Jamie rates it 2 out of 5 Gemini transformations. Pete writes in to say, Attack of the Super Monsters is a movie, and he's very happy that he did not buy this film like he did with Demiking. Thank you! Hey, you're welcome, Pete. And finally, Adam says that Attack of the Super Monsters is interesting because there's some real talent brought to bear in the English voice work, including such veteran voice actors as Cam Clark, Dan Warren, and Mike Reynolds. And everyone delivers their lines with great sincerity. It's odd because the dialogue, while a bit stilted and clearly rewritten for an American audience, provides a surprising degree of technical detail when describing the mad science at work in the film. And even the watered-down version of Attack of the Super Monsters is shockingly violent. Like many Japanese movies and shows, Super Monsters' true flaws aren't in the material itself, but in its localization. The practice of using just the first four episodes to make a full-length movie is just bizarre. Other Tsuburaya series, Fugitive Alien, Mighty Jack, Time of the Apes, got similar treatments. Though they aren't much better, the story goes somewhere at least. Super Monsters kind of ends with no real resolution in sight. Adam guesses until some company actually puts out an official American release of Dinosaur War Eisenberg, we'll all just have to wonder if Tyrannus was ever defeated. So, is Attack of the Super Monsters worth watching? Sure, if you enjoy men in rubber suits or have an affinity for late 70s Star Blazers era animation, then check it out. And there you have it, our Daikaiju discussion for Attack of the Super Monsters. Now, you're probably wondering what our film is for September 2017. Uh, I'm giving myself a birthday present, apparently, and we are going to be watching The Last Dinosaur. I say that in complete jest, though, because I've tried watching The Last Dinosaur a few times, and... I've had trouble doing it, so this is one I've never seen before. If you would like to get your thoughts, questions, and reviews sent in for the Daikaiju discussion, please make sure to do that before September 22nd. That is a Friday, and uh, we'll get those into the episode. Now we're going to go ahead and switch on over to the newsroom for a little bit of Kaiju info. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. 
The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Now, there's not really too much to really talk about. I just have some Godzilla Monster Planet, a.k.a. the Godzilla anime news to share. Uh, Mid-month, Sci-Fi Japan posted a pretty cool like collection of new images, trailers, and the like for this new movie coming out in November on Netflix worldwide. Actually, uh, according to this, and I'm not reading everything there is to read about this movie, and I'm not spoiling any more of the plot for anybody. Uh, I don't want to do that to anybody, especially me. So uh, what I will say is that according to Sci-Fi Japan's article, it says that it roars onto screens in Japan this November 17th from Toho, so it will be shown in the movie theaters there, and then has worldwide exclusivity on Netflix in late 2017 slash early 2018. So I don't know what that exactly means. I don't know if that means, I mean, I know we're getting it because it's listed on Netflix's website and there's been tons of press about it. So I'm still hoping that everybody gets to watch it uh, around the same time, around November 17th. That would be super cool. Anyway, uh, again, if you want to check this stuff out, there has been a full-blown trailer, although I haven't seen it subtitled, and uh, all sorts of information on Sci-Fi Japan's website. I'll post a link in the show notes to that for those who want to check it out. August Ragone has also been keeping up to date with the Monster Planet news. Apparently, there have been some really cool display models in Kawasaki of the Godzilla, where you can really get some serious details about this plant-like-looking Godzilla. I'll have a link in the show notes to both of those articles, of course. Uh, now, I just wanted to quickly move along to the catastrophic events, because we have a couple to talk about. First and foremost, Rose City Comic Con is coming, taking place in Portland, Oregon, from September 8th through the 10th. If you are interested in checking out the show, it's going to be pretty fun. Keith Foster and I will be tabling at the Kadoja table once again. I might be bringing some cool stuff down to sell. There might be some toys. I don't know yet. I haven't made a decision. But come on down. Find us. Talk us up about giant monsters because that's what we're there for. Additionally, I have a panel scheduled called Expanding the Legendary Monsterverse that is happening at noon, September 9th. That's Saturday. And panel room seven. Come on out and see us. And I haven't posted a Facebook event yet, but we are absolutely positively going to have a Killer Burger Night Saturday night. It's going to be at the downtown Killer Burger, and it's always a ton of fun. Keep an eye out for that. I'll also post a link in the show notes to that event. Moving along to catastrophic events that actually include giant monsters, celebrities, and so forth. October 20th through the 22nd, Grand Rapids Comic Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan, is bringing Tom Kitagawa to the show. That is the guy who played Godzilla pretty much the entire Millennium series, with the exception of 2001's GMK. The next event is uh, Chiller Theater, which is happening October 27th through the 29th in Parsippany, New Jersey. They are bringing Linda Miller from King Kong Escapes and the Green Slime, Linda Haynes from Latitude Zero, and Carl Craig from Destroy All Planets, a.k.a. Gamera vs. Barass. They're gathering all the remaining Caucasian kaiju actors. Just kidding. They're just sort of bringing some cool people together there. That is all by way of celebrity icons. You can follow them on Facebook for more information. And of course, follow the links in the show notes to those particular shows to get more information about tickets and the like. Oh, and finally, it's way early, but G-Fest 25 has already announced that Akira Takarada will be coming to next year's show. Of course, you can find further information at G-Fest's website when it becomes available. The only other bit of information that we know right now is it's taking place between July 13th and July 15th, 2018 at the Crown Plaza, Chicago O'Hare. All right, kids, I did not forget. We are doing our Shin Godzilla giveaway. I am literally sitting here with my hand in a bag filled with names of the people who correctly answered the trivia question. Now, the, here's the trivia question we actually asked. What was the name of the river that the JSDF wanted to keep Godzilla from crossing about halfway through Shin Godzilla? The answer was the Tama River, or I would have also accepted Tamagawa. 
And the bonus question that automatically entered you into the bonus autograph photo giveaway was basically what was the actor that starred in both Shin Godzilla and the great horror family? And that would be a la Gretchen. And the answer, of course, was Issei Takahashi. In Shin Godzilla, uh, he does have an actual title, which may or may not change during the film, but he's the guy that throws his arms up and goes, oh, when they find the, uh, the answer. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and start pulling some names out here. So just as a reminder, we have five posters, all autographed by Shinji Higuchi, one of the directors of Shin Godzilla, and I have two photos that are autographed also by Shinji Higuchi. What's happening here is that we are going to have five winners. Two of those winners are going to be like the big winners because they're going to get both the poster and the photo. And then the other three are going to get the poster. Now, again, if you answered both questions correctly, the Tama River and Issei Takahashi, then you are automatically in the running for the sort of big prizes, which is, again, both the photo and the poster. Okay, I have this lined up correctly. The winners of our photo and poster are John Dixon from Irvine, California, and Drosh Degala from Dayton, Ohio. Congrats, guys. Also, the winners of the three remaining signed posters are Matthew Kinsey from Jackson, Missouri, Ken Huntley from Claremont, Florida, and Ron Allard from Central Falls, Rhode Island. Congratulations, winners! We are very proud of you and the work that you have done in the name of Godzilla. You know, I have been wanting to do a contest for a long time. I know we do our annual emergency broadcast where we give a ton of stuff away, but I feel like it's been far too long since the KaijuCast has had just a standard contest. Um, I will get these mailed out as soon as I can to you guys. Should be within the next couple of weeks. Uh, and thank you all again for playing. I do love a good trivia contest. So that is going to do it for this particular episode. I will be back very soon for another episode. I think Paula Gatos from the Tokusatsu Network and I are going to be doing sort of a convention wrap-up about Japan World Heroes, which I literally just got back from a few days ago. We look forward to entertaining you then. Uh, we do, of course, normally close out with a song. So I think what I'm going to do is play something that I just got from my good friend Keith Foster, who I will be tabling with at Rose City Comic Con next week, September 8th through the 10th. This is Daikaiju theme from Valley of the Giants by Kadoja. And with that, I'm going to close out the show by saying, Jamata. Thank mm-hmm. you.